I don't know what the deal is or if Steven's an ass or... Steven's an ass. Everyone thinks Steven's an ass. I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard a lot of a lot of opinions about him. He He was like mega famous in that era where like fame really changes everything probably how you perceive yourself yeah you can really actually even tell from the early uh press photos of third eye blind versus like later but the same era yeah like if you look at their like very first press photos for the self-titled album steven's wearing like a green sweater and like new balances and looks kind of like a fucking nerd like regular ass college guy and the photo just looks like a band yeah and they just look like a bunch of fucking dudes yeah and then the next press photos them like all rock star out like orion's wearing like sunglasses and has his hair down like epically and steven has like you know the 90s hairstyle where it's all going up and also sunglasses and like looks like he's wearing an eight million dollar leather jacket and it's just i don't know i saw that now because i literally two days ago googled like 1997 third eye blind press photos and was looking at and i was like oh here's the early one and i was like oh that literally after this album blew up they're like we got to redo our image <laughs> we're cooler now we're we're way richer <laughs> i love playing those venues where they have all the old press photos of the bands that have played there up all over the walls because that's like always from a great era of like fashion choices amazing well it's recording now so right. should we get into the podcast and just start talking about that um <laughs> You're listening to the Super Week, Super Weekly, Supercast. Is that how we do this? Yeah, that's a potent start to season two with a um. <laughs> um really is the energy we're bringing this this season of the podcast, so I think that's totally fair. Yeah, we haven't even told Ben what we're doing because I literally called Chris like right after you texted us and you were like, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. And I was like, I'm also going to be 15 minutes late. Speaking of which, our guest this this episode <laughs> is Ben Walsh. Let's actually introduce the man from Tiger's Jaw. I would say one of our mutually favorite bands, not just because pff, they've deaf. employed me at some point. <laughs> would you say, Nard? I said pff, deaf. Oh, deaf. Of course. I mean, I guess our listeners who, if they know us, they definitely know you already. But Tiger's Jaw is like one of the longest standing PA bands. I think you, like, how long have you guys been a band now? Uh, we started in like late December of... Uh, <laughs> The of, specificity is, is warranted, yeah. Of 2005. And you it's were how old then? December. <laughs> I, ju- I just turned 16, I think. Yeah. Yeah, just turned 16. So then where were you in the beginning of 2014? Nine years after starting Tiger's Jaw. In the beginning of 2014? Yeah, oh yeah, we're going back for this episode. Well, in the beginning of 14, I would have been living in Lancaster, I believe. I have no idea why he asked this question, so I'm interested to see. It's all in here, baby. Let's keep going. (laughs) Yeah, so I, I graduated college and moved to Lancaster for about nine months and worked a job out in Ephrata. PA and lived with a good good friend Chuck who managed bands and Mike who ran Mr. Suit Records which recently closed but uh, was just like this amazing long standing uh, record store in Lancaster. Cool. And that was 2014. What you really moved from you're up in you know Scranton Wilkes-Barre area, mm-hmm. Ephrata, Lancaster area, Philadelphia. You ever live in Pittsburgh or Johnstown <laughs> or anything? No. Not the western coast of Pennsylvania? No. My, my sister went to Pitt. So I visited a couple times, but never lived out there. Dude, Ephrata is like farmland. 
Yeah. You live real close to Shady Maple. You know, I've never experienced the smorgasbord, but I... This is like the most (laughs) narrow, narrow casting we've ever done. You're just listing towns in Pennsylvania. I'm from this state as well. I I have completely checked out. I don't know any of these places. (laughs) I mean, I've spent a good amount of time in Lancaster because Chris Deem and playing music with him and going there and playing music there and Kaleidoscope. Oh, last season's guest, Chris Deem. And, you know, I always pass the sign for Ephrata and I'm like, how the hell do you pronounce this, Chris? He's like, oh, it's Ephrata. And I'm like, it's not Ephrata? (laughs) And he's like, no. And then he told me about some screamo bands from there and whatever. But to get into the reason I asked you where you were and what you were doing in the beginning of 2014, 2014 was 10 years ago because we're now in 2024. Mm -hmm. We're in the 20s. I can do math. I just just connected what you're doing right now. Let me live. (laughs) And the Super Weeks put out an album called The World is a Terrible Place and I Hate Myself and Want to Die in 2014. That was our first official, I'm doing air quotes, release as a group. Congrats on 10 years. Thanks. Thanks. It's great to be here. We decided we wanted to reboot the podcast because it's fun to talk to our friends about absolutely nothing. Who cares? You Just in case you're listening to this in the future, it's been like three years since we released an episode, two years, something like that. Two, I think we did the whole 2021 season. Yeah. So it's been two full years, pretty much. And we were so gung-ho to bring this thing back because, you know, maybe 15 of our friends listened every week and they absolutely loved it. And uh, we had zero good ideas for what to do to bring the podcast back. (laughs) So Evan, 15 (laughs) minutes before you arrived here tonight to record this episode, Ben, called me and informed me that he had a breakthrough and he knew exactly what we needed to do tonight for our theme. Just in time. Just in time. Evan, did you want to reveal what that idea is? Well, we're going to play you a song off of that album and we're going to ask you to critique it. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> As a legendary PA songwriter, of, you know, of, of your long Tiger Straw tenure, and you've also very well studied in like your cover bands such as Scumbag Petty, so you know how to study the masters. So time for you to study the disasters. <laughs> I don't actually want to listen to it now. I was hoping we'd get to this in like 45 minutes or so. And oh, we why'd could you just... bring it up? <laughs> uh, because I was going to do this long buildup and get into whatever we were going to talk about. Okay, well, that's that happened in 2014 or whatever, because, you know, Tiger's Jaw was out there putting out some cool records. We, you know, had previously met probably around that time, maybe a little earlier, because Dangerous Ponies time mm-hmm. coming up to, well, probably definitely before that, if you were living in, you know, the Lancaster area, because we met when you were still up in Scranton. Yeah. So Ben, did, did I meet you back then? Because Evan said that there's a Dangerous Ponies like reason that we had met. And that, of course, is the band that Evan and I were both in. I thought I didn't meet you until many years later. No, I know I met you, Evan. I don't know. Maybe it was after you were playing with the ponies. Cause okay, yeah. It was maybe when we were doing Andy Black time. Oh, that's a, that's a tight little window. Yeah. It was at a college in Scranton and Three Man Cannon played, which is why I was there. Mm-hmm. And okay, uh, yeah. Hop Along also played. And mm-hmm. the if I recall, the uh, the PA got fully blown out during mm-hmm. your set. <laughs> we ruined it for everyone. Competing with Evan's uh, Fender Twin Reverb that was cranked up to the full possible volume. Three, it was on three. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it doesn't get any louder past three. It just Pretty becomes much. more distorted. Well, I just remember, you know, seeing maybe there was like a projector or a screen backdrop, which was the album art, mm-hmm. um, which was two beards with glitter kissing. Yeah, that was me and Kyle... That, yeah, that was our press photo of the time. Yeah, it was it was awesome. And I think, you know, especially at the time, Scranton was a little behind the times and maybe not as 
progressive as like our group of friends wanted it to be. So it was just like, for me, it was a cool thing seeing that gigantic behind the stage at this show that happened in Scranton. So props to you for that. So you'd nice. say there was more Michael Scott minded people in Scranton <laughs> than there were Oscar Nunez minded sure, people. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, that's fitting. That, you know, that was the moment. Yeah. That was a very fun show. But yeah, I remember the show and then I remember everyone went out afterwards. I don't even remember where or what we did at that time in Scranton. Yeah. But I remember going out and I remember meeting you and I remember spending a lot of time with Pat Breyer. Legend. And, you know, that kicked off a lifelong friendship from that point on with, I mean, I feel like it's so crazy how so many of y'all moved down here or like we met going up there, mm -hmm. you know, Tim Jordan, Russell, all the three man and Tiger's Jaw folk, like a lot of y'all moved down here. Yeah. Well, like Russ, Russell and Tim and all those guys from the Tamaqua area, they were like our first out of town buddy band that we used to do like show trades with and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so the first time we played down their way, we were like, oh, this is the coolest thing. We're playing like an hour from home. Like it felt like going on tour. Road mm -hmm. game. Yeah, yeah. We're good. We're hitting the road. <laughs> kind of recently I drove down the same way, not unfortunately not to go to Tamaqua, but I was driving past it and I was like, this ride used to feel like so much longer. Like it felt like it took such a long time to get down there. And it was so exciting to be playing an out of town gig. And now I'm like, uh, it took me like 40 minutes to drive there. Well, that's the thing I think about too, is just like as not just aging rockers, but aging human beings, like the elastic kind of experience of time where even like a month feels so much shorter now. And it's just because we've existed for so much longer. Yeah. Like that relativistic scale. Right. I had that same thing where there was like community centers or churches in my town that we played the basement of. And I remember like going out the Drexel Hill from Havertown, which is like maybe a 35 minute drive. And we were so psyched to not be playing our cafeteria at yeah. our high school. That's like that first time magic. Yeah. And you remember so many more details from those kind of formative experiences, early touring. If you're doing like a long weekend or something, you can pull more details from like that long weekend than you can from like a month long tour years later, you know? Oh yeah. I think about the tour that Evan and I did back in the day with Pete Helmus, his other band, Peter, the piano eater. Yeah. And it was called the Eat Chipotle for free everyday tour, where our goal was to have free burritos from a Chipotle every single day of the tour. I think we almost nailed it. We almost did it. I, I think, think we missed one, but we got two free ones in one day or yeah, something. Yeah. So, so I think like we ooh. still checked it off like one to one for the amount of days we were out on the road, but it was a technicality that we got by on. That was a golden age. Of, yeah. Oh uh, man. Oh, of free God. Chipotle. Yeah. yeah. Take advantage of the old, uh, a couple Chipotle times, hack? a couple oh, times. Yeah, yeah. That's how you got to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gentle listener. If you're not familiar with this tour hack, we may have even talked about this before, but I'll I'm recap sure it just in case. We talked about this. I mean, Mike it's the best Bell's thing that ever happened to us. Yeah. Joe's episode. <laughs> you used to be able to just like call Chipotle and be like, Hey, we're a band on tour. Would you be okay with hooking us up with uh, free burritos today? And we each had our own sort of special approach to it that may or may not work depending, but it was like, yeah, like you were saying, the golden age of, of touring, the guacan oh. age of touring. What was your angle? What just direct. And well, first I would uh, start by asking for a manager. Yeah. Just to like sound official. And then from there, just be like, hey, we're a band on road and we're playing in your city today. We were hoping that you'd be able to help us out with some meals. Yeah. Like I avoided the word free. Because I felt like they were like, well, we won't give handouts. But if you're like, if you can help us help us out, we're a band on tour. It's like appeal to their sense of like elevated experience of like, like yeah. giving an, an artist on the road, like free food. When you're a DIY touring musician, you're essentially a college kid permanently. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that same lifestyle where you're just like, I'm a broke college kid. It's like perpetually. <laughs> well, I've been I watching a lot of Survivor lately and I think about it like that too. Where I'm like, oh man, these guys... 
this is basically DIY touring without the show where it's like, you're not sure if you're going to be able to get any food. Every once in a while, you have to lift a ton of heavy shit. <laughs> Wait, there's more parallels. I, I had more. <laughs> Give me a second. You got to fashion spears so you can fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably what it was. That's, that's the, the stuff they one. don't tell you when you're watching a band on stage. You don't think about how the, earlier they had to fashion a spear. <laughs> and that explains the smell of most DIY vans too. It's just all that raw fish they're munching on off you the spear. You gotta cook it on the engine of your van. You know, that's how you get by. <laughs> well, that's a real vans. hack that Evan's done. This We've is, also done that. Yeah, yeah that's outside. I, I've of the heard about gear. this. Yeah. Yeah. That's impressive. You have any uh, roughing it tour stories from back in the day? Ooh. Well, I mean, the first couple of tours we did, oh, the first tour we did, it was about seven or eight days long. And there was one show where anyone actually attended as like a attendee. Every other show was one or two other bands and a sound person or venue person. And that was it. Mm -hmm. But it was still the most fun ever thing of all time going to so many different cities. Cause like I grew up in Scranton and for one week out of the year, I would go to the Jersey shore and then otherwise, you know, never really went anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't fly or leave the country or anything until I started touring. So like going on tour when I was, 16, 17 was like, wow, this is like my first time going to so many of these places. And it was awesome. So, but yeah, we, we were roughing it, but like, it was such a new and exciting thing that we didn't even think about that. You know, it was just like, felt so lucky to just be able to like get out of town for a while, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Awesome. I deeply relate to that. Just like getting to go over that massive bridge. And I, th and I think Mississippi, that's just like over a body of water for like miles for the first time. Oh yeah. I remember like looking out the window of our busted conversion van and just thinking about like how, magical and like almost like spiritual the experience felt and then like we slept on the dirtiest floor of all time later that same night and that felt just as magical and spiritual to me <laughs> yeah yeah we brought one of those little like uh mini like ufo looking grills mm -hmm. and would just like buy the cheapest food from the grocery store we could find and just like cook in the park you know outside of the shows or whatever like and then just kind of like would meet other bands that were that we played with and they very generously would put us up somewhere and we'd all cook food together or whatever. And it was yeah, very like communal and, and cool. It made you feel like there's that unifying thread in all these different places. Like, oh, there's people that play music and support other people that play music. It's like felt cool to see that for the first time in those early tours. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I love that communal connection of DIY too. But you're also touching on something we love to talk about, which is like what communal meals did you make on tour? Was there like a go-to one that you as a band would like pool your resources together? I mean, it's usually just like tacos or something like just... Yeah, what's in them? Tell me about it. I mean, it wasn't like a recipe really, you know? Oh, like that was that. just like our go-to was just make some tacos. Buy Whatever like, you bought at the grocery some, store, throw yeah, it in a tortilla. Yeah, some ground beef, yeah. some, you know, some veggies and stuff and just throw it all together. Sounds Beautiful. Great. Yeah. Was, Love that. That's great. I guess I can't milk a tiger straw recipe out of you. For, uh... <laughs> I don't, I don't fancy myself a, uh, much of a cook. Well, uh, that's surprising to me because let me pivot here. You own a small like donut and coffee shop. Yeah. But, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not making the, the re I'm not designing the recipes or anything. I just assumed that you were, cause you're such a, a DIY guy at heart that yeah. you like generated everything from the core yourself. Well, we linked up very early on with someone who had a real passion for pastry making and, and he sort of developed all of the recipes and stuff. His name is Tiago and uh, he's no longer with Hello, but he you know was with us for many, many years and uh, refined a bunch of recipes and developed a lot of stuff and really got us started on, on the donut end of things. And it was like 
Hello Donuts is, is like through touring, going to all these new places, we would always kind of seek out the cool coffee shops or the cool donut shops mm-hmm. and whatever. And um, we were like, our area of Philly could use something like that. And so that was kind of where that idea sprung from. But yeah, like I didn't really have much kitchen experience. So we figured we'd just kind of pool resources more so. Like I mostly work as like a barista and then do a lot of kind of behind the scenes stuff. Like trying to fix things when they break and uh, doing the books, that type of stuff. That's really cool that that was an explicit goal that you were like, well, what does a DIY band, like what attracts me to a certain part of a city? I mean, I guess that's like the logical, like one-to-one, like, well, what what niche is like needed here? Yeah. But what about donuts in particular spoke to you? Because I love donuts. Yeah, I just, I love them. I grew up in Scranton, right around the corner from a, a Krispy Kreme. And they used to do this thing where you could bring your report card and for everything B or above, you would get a free donut. Wow. So that was awesome. So I would just like try to do as well as I could in school. Donuts were the motivator. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I just get a bunch of donuts and eat them all and then feel horrible for a day and <laughs> wait for the next the next quarter to start or whatever. But it's just a cool spot where you can post up and, and hang out and like drink a coffee and whatever. It's the same affinity I have for a good dive bar or a good diner. You can just kind of post up there and have a good conversation. And Oh, yeah. Should we be expecting a hello diner or hello dive bar on the horizon? <laughs> I mean, we lost Melrose here in South Philly. We could oh, use true. another diner. Yeah, there is just a blown out, bombed out hole next to the Broad <laughs> Street down there. So if you could swoop in and give DIY bands a reason to stop by that hole, that would be great. <laughs> As yeah. a Jersey boy, I'm very much, have quite the affinity for a diner. Oh, so No one does it better than a Jersey diner. They don't. Shout out to Colonial Diner. It has a whole vegan menu. Like Half of their menu is vegan there. And that's a South Jersey diner that I love dearly. Love diners. Diners, diners, and... Diners. That's what that TV show should be called. <laughs> can, you, can you say the host's name for me again, Evan? Ben Walsh. No, no. Of the no, he's the guest. <laughs> what are you talking about? Of diners, drive-ins, and dives. No, he's the host of diners, diners, and diners. Okay, okay. I see what we're doing. This is a new episode of diners, diners, and diners. We're here with our host Ben Walsh, and he's going to tell us about his favorite diner. Well, my favorite diner was called Chicks diner in scranton it was a casualty of the of the pandemic oh, unfortunately God, so many were you know it's like a greasy spoon type place and i think you know they tried to pivot to take out and sometimes like that type of food is not meant to travel mm-hmm. so i think things started just kind of slowing down for them but it was just like you know it was open 24 hours it was open you know even on like christmas or new year's or like you know whatever if it was after a show or you know no matter what time it was you could always post up there and eat some food, hang out. Oh, the best. It was great. One one time I uh, I saw a guy clock out, comes out of the kitchen and he sits down in a booth and he takes off his like chef jacket, revealing a, a button down Dragon Ball Z shirt <laughs> to then further, I guess, need to cool off or whatever. So he undoes the buttons on this Dragon Ball Z button down shirt, revealing the Dragon Ball Z tank top underneath that. Wow. Sounds like <laughs> my fucking kind of guy. Yeah. When you said Dragon Ball Z shirt, was it like... Goku character was on it or was it like Goku's shirt that just has the uh, kanji? It was an all over print 
sort of like, you know, those like bowling style mm-hmm. shirts. Yeah. yeah. So it was like a Charlie Sheen look. Yeah, yeah. Like a Charlie Sheen look with an all over action shot of Dragon Ball Z. Ooh, yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah. That's like the finest product you could buy at Kohl's at that time. And I, I only wish that he then took off the, the, the Dragon Ball Z tank top revealing full on Dragon Ball Z tattoos. Oh my God. You can only imagine <laughs> what's under there. Yeah. It probably is. Chances are. Yeah. Chances are for yeah. sure. I feel like. Your diner experience is probably quite different than mine was as a child because I consider you to be from the jump just like a wholesome, sweet man. I feel well, thank like, you. yeah, I just noticed about you. Like, you don't <laughs> swear. You love a good prank, but never anything da- like, like verging on danger. And you're just like always just a good time of like positive and like kind, you know, sort of joy that you bring. Whereas what we used to do when we'd hang out at the Landmark Diner when I was growing up, uh, made famous by Silver, Silver Linings, Linings Playbook. Playbook, what we would do is we'd order the snapper soup. So that then it comes with a side of sherry cooking wine. So we could just get a free thing of wine and just we chug that. Oh, and nice. then sit in there and smoke cigarettes until like 2 a.m. Because it was open 24 hours and nobody cared that we were like 14. And, it, <laughs> and they're drinking cooking wine and smoking cigs. <laughs> That's uh, a, it's fucking disgusting. Yeah, dude. it was it's kind of early. an amazing life hack though for a young teen. True. Oh, yeah. We found our, oh, yeah. If teens, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. No one smokes anymore. I actually tell you, this is not to make this about me, but... This Christmas, when we went to my dad's, his girlfriend is a big fan of Absolutely Fabulous, the British, like the BBC show from, I don't know, a few decades ago. Mm. And the two stars of that show are like brassy women who like, like to smoke and insult people and stuff. And so she had in the house a coaster that had a print, like a full color print of the two main characters from that show with cigarettes in their hand. And my nephew, who's uh, nine now, he just turned nine, just so he's, you know, a child, so he doesn't know much of the world, but he saw the coaster sitting there and I could just like see his brain start to short circuit. And he whipped around and looked at me and he said, I didn't know a woman ever smoke. <laughs> <laughs> so teens now, they're not interested in our, in our SIG and Sherry hacks. Well, they, they smoke those, uh, you know, the vapes that kind of look like AirPod cases. Yeah, with like a stick off of it. Yeah, little yellow yeah it used to be USB sticks. Now yeah. they got, they've moved on to AirPod cases. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm behind the technology in that Well, case. I think there's a newer, even newer one that kind of looks like, like a highlighter. Oh, yeah. Interesting. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen yeah. the highlighters. They're always that, these really bright colors. Yeah. Is that intentional to like pass it off as a highlighter? To like, so? yeah, sneak, yeah, to have it at school or whatever. Of course. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the end game of everything. That's how you get kids hooked. That's what everyone's goal is, is making money and getting kids hooked. That's right. That's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Right. And that is where the transition where I would have gone to the song from 2014, I would have been like, look, now we play the song to get kids hooked. Oh, because we can do that a now. a massive like- corporation <laughs> called the Super Weeks, back then the Weeks, and we're just trying to get kids hooked on the good stuff. Yeah. And that was only about nine years ago now. So that was, uh, my nephew was born then. <laughs> let's, let's get him hooked. Yeah. Let's listen to the song now. This is 10 years ago. We're 10. He's a, this song's older than your nephew. Wow. Don't make me think about that. Yeah. Anyway, here's the song. Night swimming? Night swimming at the full moon party. I think is what the name is. I think that's what it is. <laughs>
So 10 years, the memories come flooding back about all the details of making that song. For one, I did not remember the intro being that unbelievably long, and then also the outro being that unbelievably long. But the noise collage in the end was kind of like a happenstance thing because I think we've told a little bit of the story before, but I mentioned Peter Helmus a moment ago. He played bass for us on this record. And unbeknownst to us, he just brought our friend Mike Bell along with him. <laughs> just like showed up with a keyboard. <laughs> And we were doing this at the Converse Rubber Tracks RIP and Mike Bell just wanted to tag along so he could get free shoes, which I can't blame him. Yeah. But yeah, he just had his keyboard, his Moog that he brought along with him. It was like, oh, Realistic Synth? Is that what yeah. he had? Moog, yeah, they brought along with him. Yeah. And none of us had rehearsed with him. <laughs> so when the guy was doing headphone mixes for us, he was just like, all right, uh, who needs the keyboard? And we're like, no, none of us need it. But then Pat Conavoy, who was playing drums, was just like, I'll take some of that keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike Bell was just doing noises like that the entire time. So most of them we cut out from the record, but we kept one on that part because we're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But anyway, this isn't my review of the song. <laughs> Tell us, oh, songwriting master, what'd you think? Well, so I consider myself to be a big like fan of albums and sequencing and like context. Mm -hmm. And being on episode one here, I get the uh, the opening track, which very much feels like an introduction. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. It starts off with a really nice warm guitar tone, which made me feel real cozy right away. And then you get the sort of droney vocals, very, very heavily affected, which is on the, the whole track. Oh yeah, that's a Doc Bag specialty. Pretty there. ballsy move for the first track because you're like, oh, is, is the whole, is this just how the vocals sound for, <laughs> for all the tracks? It's a full band yeah. of reverse <laughs> reverb, yeah. <laughs> Don't tempt me. It's great. <laughs> It's great. It sounds awesome when the, when the full band kicks in. The guitar tones are just awesome. You guys are always good for that. Uh, really nice, stacked, full-feeling guitar tones, and I love that. My head was bobbing. The, the melodies are really nice. They're really, really good. That's an Evan Bernard special. It just feels like a really cool, like, thinking about it in context of, like, this is the first song in a release. Like, it feels like this build-up sort of movement more so than a song. If I was critiquing it as like a standalone song out of the context of a larger release, I'd be like, well, you probably could have like incorporated some sort of less dense part to it <laughs> instead of it just being this large, dense movement of sound. But I think when you think about it in context, it, it actually is really nice because it sets the tone for the rest of the release in a really cool way. And it just introduces really kind of what you would expect from your band, which are great melodies really great guitar tones, just like real head bobbing sort of like pacing and the tempos are just like really nice head bobbing tempos. Yeah, we're a strictly mid-tempo band, yeah. <laughs> and then it builds up and just kind of gets chaotic and falls apart with all the different layered noises that mm -hmm. I think is a great way to kick off a, an EP like that, you know? Appreciate it. Yeah. You know, you can't go wrong with Pat Conaboy, you know, who you've probably known for quite a while Another Scranton point. boy, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Can't go wrong with him hitting the drums and doing the, you know, droney rock and aggression thing he does. Yeah, he's been just playing perfect drums for so many years. It's great. He, he knows how to like chameleon into whatever project he's playing in really well. But you can still tell that it's him. It's always, yeah, it's really cool. I love the vibe. I mean, I talk about this every time I talk about drummers in general or on this podcast. When I hear... Pat or Mikey or Pat Breyer, mm -hmm. any of those drummers, if I hear them, I'm like, that. that is exactly who that is. 
which is actually funny because Pat Breyer, Pat Conaboy, and I were all drummers in eight at different points. <laughs> and it's funny because Pat Conaboy wrote the drums to the first couple songs. I wrote the drums to the next couple drum songs. And then Pat Breyer recorded all of them. And they don't sound anything like me or Pat Conaboy playing the drums. They sound exclusively like Pat Breyer playing the drums. And they're like amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And Pat Breyer also played in Thin Lips. And you can hear Pat Breyer playing Mikey drum parts, but also... They're just Pat's drum parts. And you hear Mikey playing them and you're like, whoa, Pat's drum parts are fucking crazy. (laughs) Yeah, they're like subtly so complicated, but they read so simply like as you listen to them where it's just, it always serves the song so well, but it's it's never the most obvious thing, but it never sounds out of place. I don't know. It's like this perfect balance. I recently got to play uh, in a Black Sabbath cover band with with Pat. What's the name Uh, of the band again? Black Sabbath. Uh, our, our friend Andy Saba is the Aussie of the band. Oh, so cool! And it, you know, like most good things, it started as kind of a joke, and then we were like, "Yeah, we should, we should do this. It would be really fun." So, oh, it's like the Super Weeks. Yeah, it started mostly as a joke. Yeah. So yeah, we did a, a Halloween show, and uh, it was a lot of fun. But poor Pat, the drum kit, which was not ours, kept moving. So like, you know, you can expect maybe the kick drum to shift a little bit, or you know, the hi hat to move a little bit. He was like fully extended by the end of every yeah. song. I felt so bad. The hi-hat kept actually tipping over. <laughs> ben sent me a video of him reaching for the hi-hat, elbow locked, his arm was so far out. Then oh he drug it back while still playing the song. And I felt so bad for him. We, you know, we put a lot of work into like learning these songs and he played so well, especially considering that basically all of the drums were just running away from him during these songs. And he was still hitting, like he didn't, he didn't hit less hard for to kind of keep them from moving. Like he just played his normal way, but just had to keep getting further and further away. <laughs> yeah, I think he's just so supremely chill that you know it's like he's unflappable. Like it yeah. wouldn't bother him that his like drums are genuinely skittering away from his body as he's smacking them. The tricky part with the Sabbath songs though is some of them are so long. So it's like it starts moving like a minute into the song, and you're like, oh, there's like seven minutes left in this song. I'm not going to be able to move these drums for a while. Which was your favorite Sabbath song to play? I kind of assumed that it was going to be my least favorite, but Iron Man, which I think for many years I would listen to Paranoid and I would, I would skip it. And huh. you know, it's iconic riff. You get, you've heard it at Guitar Center yeah. play wrong a million times. You don't yeah. hear it again. And yeah. it's just like, I don't always love when the guitar part and the melody mimic each other, which Sabbath does a lot and mostly to great effect. Mm -hmm. But yeah, for some reason in my head, I'm like, ah, it's just really long and it's repetitive and and whatever. And there's other songs on the record that I just enjoy so much more. So I was like, well, this will be fun to play maybe, but it ended up being the most fun to play. Like, and it gave me a newfound appreciation for this song that I've heard a million times and you know, you kind of think like, oh, I've heard that one enough. I don't have to listen to it again. But it kind of like, I heard it and it sounded really fresh and it was really fun to, to play. Yeah, learning a song gives you like a different experience of it in a way where it's a new intimacy you have with it. Yeah. And so it's like a fresh experience. I even if you've heard it a million times. I can remember figuring out like Jimmy Buffett songs for cover bands being like, oh, there's like a little synth flute thing here that I hadn't <laughs> noticed before in Cheeseburger in Paradise. And it's like, there's like nuggets that you can appreciate. Because like every song is like a... like a music theory construct, like whether people know the theory or not. So there's like a bit of layering and like something to experience it that you're not getting just from like a cursory listen. 
and especially Black Sabbath, where you get to like, that song is so like monolithic and like it's monophonic and monolithic where everyone's moving at the same time on the same note. And it just feels like you're a big Iron Man monster (laughs) just like stomping around as you play that song. Let me tell you, going back to incredible bass players who are incredible arrangers, Geezer Butler. Geezer. For the listeners, were you Tony or were you Geezer? I was Tony. Yeah, of course. I was Tony. My God. But in that category, we got Geezer Butler, we got John Paul Jones, Paul McCartney, Orion Salazar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really know who else to put up I there. I think but. I didn't hit record yet when you were talking about Third Eye Blind, but <laughs> Orion Salazar is the bass player of Third Eye, the original bass player of Third Eye Blind. Incredible. I would put self-titled Third Eye Blind up there with the first four or five Led Zeppelin albums and, sure. uh, you know, the first four or five Sabbath albums and who else did I say? The Beatles, any of those. <laughs> the first four or five Beatles albums. <laughs> <laughs> the first four, maybe like the, from like number the five through five, eight yeah. or something. <laughs> but no, I mean, even that early Beatles stuff is incredible. Yeah, Paul's incredible. But like, like I saw her standing there is like, it's like a, just like a motif that repeats, but it's such a great like mobile baseline. And that's from like their early days. He was already ripping. I just feel like the, the movement, like the way that geezer Butler kind of plays in between Tony and bill, you know, yeah. it's just like so much intensity. And then when, you know, Tony starts doing the leads, like especially in iron man yeah, where, you know, Tony starts really going for it. Yeah, and oh. the dueling guitar solos are just like layered on top of each other. It's yeah. great. How was that? That guitar solo? Uh, I mean, it took, uh, it took me a long time to get comfortable with it, but it was a lot of fun to play. And I, I think my, my approach was like, it's tough to learn those because pretty much all of those Sabbath solos, there's at least two, sometimes more mm-hmm. of this very similar performances of it that they just lay on top of each other. And you kind of have to pick and choose the more iconic sounding parts to like just play it with one guitar. So I was like, well, it's never going to be exact to the recording, obviously. So as long as it captures the spirit of it, and then like certain really memorable movements, as long as those are in there, it's going to land. Are you telling me you didn't do the uh, Michelangelo, what's his name? <laughs> Baccio? The double, yeah, the double neck guitar, finger tapping to play Triple, both he's solos. he's got three now. Time. Three neck. What does he do with the third neck? Licks it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's the, that's the licking <laughs> neck. It just has yeah. candy strings on it, like Twizzler, pull and peel strings on it. I mean, I'd eat that. I'd eat that for sure. Ben would eat that. I would, yeah. I would eat that. But you are kind of a cover band king, because I mentioned it before you do Scumbag Petty, which just had its reunion show after uh, how many years away? Almost a decade, you know. It was the time. America was jonesing for some Petty, Mm -hmm. and the gap was was left by the man himself. Yes, and Scumbag Petty kind of started off as uh, an homage to, to just Tom Petty, but it very quickly became not that. We would still do some Petty songs, but we kind of would cover a lot of just like 90s and early 2000s very simple, dumb radio song. So Third Eye Blind. Third Eye Blind, <laughs> Sugar Ray. Ooh, yeah. Every Morning is such a great song. I love playing that song. It's great. Iconic riff. Are you drumming in Scumbag Band? No, I'm playing guitar. I, I would love to play drums in a band again. I got to get behind the kit for something. We should address this because you are a multi-instrumentalist. I think I've seen you play almost every instrument in, in different bands. What instruments have you played in what bands? Lay it on us. So when Tiger Jaw started, I was the drummer. And then eventually kind of switched to uh, basically when we started that I played drums and Adam played guitar. And if the two of us were available, we would take any show that we could possibly play as long as both of us were available. And then once that show was locked in, we would see which of our friends were around to like join the the band. Yeah. So if our friend who was a drummer could play, I would switch to bass. 
if we happened to find a bass player and a drummer, I would switch to guitar. So I would just kind of like shift around or whatever. I also played drums in Captain More Sinking early on mm-hmm. and a hardcore band from Wilkes-Barre-ish area called Bad Seed. And it was a funny thing. Adam and I used to like join bands kind of in tandem and then we would kind of get kicked out of those bands in tandem as well. <laughs> and it happened four different times. Whoa. Wow. Brothers in arms. Yeah. Yeah. It was a package deal. You got, you know, <laughs> both of us. Two heavy hitters just so bring them in. And maybe it's a little too heavy for them. They had to lighten the load. Yeah. So I played drums for Catherine We're Sinking. I played drums for Bad Seed. Drums in this kind of noisy indie band called The Green Chair. Is that like an answer to Silver Chair? If they let it tarnish, it turns green. <laughs> copper Chair? Yes. The Copper Chair. Lady Liberty's chair that she sits on, yeah. Let's see. I've played in Cave People at different points, sometimes on bass, sometimes on drums. The great Dave Tomain's band, Cave People, of course. With a wonderful He's since Dave retired. Tomain. Now he's a strictly comic book writer and whatever he does for... Well, he, he's in Scumbag Petty as well. So he recently came yes. out of retirement for that. I like that. The thing about Dave is Dave's never going to fully retire. No. It's not possible. No. I love Dave. He's one of the best people on this entire planet. Beautiful human. Yeah, a true charmer. Yeah. I don't think he has a Dragon Ball Z tattoo, but he does have a couple anime tattoos under that Dragon Ball Z tank top, under that Dragon Ball Z button down. Yes. Under the Dragon Ball Z baseball cap that Dave would wear <laughs> if, if he were to get into Dragon Ball Z like that. But actually, that's, that's a fair topic because Evan is a... Dave's avid, more of a Yu Yu Hakusho kind of guy. Let's I don't know what real. that is. I don't know. It's, he's got a Yu Yu Hakusho t-shirt mm-hmm. that says cave people on it. I personally what own it. What is Yu Yu Hakusho? Is that what you said? Yu Yu yeah. Hakusho. What is that? It's a great manga anime written by the same guy who did Hunter Hunter. Hunter Hunter, 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 Hunter. Mm-hmm. It predates Hunter Hunter. It is basically the same character archetype for each of the characters just on a different show. Still an adventure. It's wonderful. You'll have to watch it. When we have Dave on, we'll just get into it. We'll do an anime watch episode where we just do commentary tracks or animes. It'll be great. Yeah, you know, we're already borderline unlistenable. Might as well put it to bed. <laughs> ben, are you into anime at all or any sort of animated features? It's never caught me like in a way that it's just very borderline stuff like... Hmm. Akira and what have you. Yeah, I guess some of the, some of the basics. Away. Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh like, my God. I I've finally watched that, watched that show last year. Yeah. Life changing. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I'm due for a rewatch on it because it's been, uh, you know, a good couple of years. But yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've enjoyed what I've watched. It's not like something that I seek out, I guess. What's your kind of thing that you like to watch to unwind? Hmm. Or to be thrilled? Ben's a sportman. Well, you're yeah. a sporto? Oh, wait, of course. You love, you're a baseball guy, right, too? I do love baseball. I, recent years, I've you know gotten into watching football as well. I didn't really grow up with it at all. But yeah, it's been, it's been kind of fun. Sometimes very not fun, but sometimes very fun. Keeping but don't up you with, have like a particular relationship with the Scranton baseball team, too? Yeah. So when I was growing up, the uh, AAA Scranton team, it was uh, a Yankees. Sorry, when I was growing up, it was the, the Phillies AAA and then at some point they switched and became the Yankees AAA, but they were called the, the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Red Barons. And they had a very funny mascot called the Grump. And the Grump. I grew up going to those games and it was a lot of fun. And so I have a collection of Scranton Wilkes-Barre Red Barons memorabilia. Cool. Clothing and various things. How does the Grump tie into the Red Baron is my question. Uh, you know, I don't know. I think it was maybe roughly... Uh, Philly fanatic esque, you know, he's green, he's furry, but he's he's definitely more round and 
supposedly grumpy, but he would also ride a uh, quad. Much like the fanatic, yeah. Yeah, so I have two pretty good grump stories. One of them being, you know, he would come out of the, the outfield riding his quad and do a couple laps around the field, and he used to do a little jump off of the pitcher's mound. This must have been like a new grump or whatever. It was early on in one of the seasons, and he goes for the, the jump off the pitcher's mound and kind of lands on one wheel and like all disheveled and ends up falling off of the quad and the head rolled off. So he's just the you know normal guy in the in the big costume, but the the giant grump head like had rolled away like 15 feet, <laughs> yeah, which was kind of traumatizing. Oh no! Oh, how old were you when you witnessed this? Probably 11 or 12. Yeah, that's that's a good age to be traumatized. Probably, by that. It's just traumatizing in general. Yeah, you know? see a man eat it hard and have his giant head roll off. Yeah, and then the other one is less of a story, just more of a thing that I saw, but it's pretty funny. So there used to be this area at the stadium called the smokers dugout, which was the designated smoking section. And I I did see one of the people in the grump costume sitting on the bench of the smokers dugout area with the head off next to him on the bench. And he was ripping cigs. He didn't have like an enormous grump size cig to put through the, (laughs) to put through the mask. That would have been, that would have been nice. That would have been a nice touch. I feel like that's such a fucking like Simpsons esque Mm -hmm. picture in your mind, Mm -hmm. you know? When you just think of like Krusty. Yeah. And uh, what's his name? Like he quickly like throws the cigarette away while he sees like a kid coming up and be like, oh, hey. Puts the head on backwards. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't see that. (laughs) But you did. And that's part of the grump lore. Was the grump still around or is that like a. No, no. So when they switched to a Yankees uh, AAA team, they literally just started calling it the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Yankees for a couple of years, which just was devoid of any sort of like local. What did they uh, change the mascot stand to? The Yanker? It's just like uh, called, it's called Champ. Oh. Boo, we're bored. I'm bored. Yeah, Champ's Um, nothing. That's nothing. (laughs) Yeah, not as cool, not as cool as the Grump. Uh, And then they eventually um, changed the name to the uh, Rail Riders as a nod to the the train and railroad. uh, Yeah, because that's steel country. Yeah. 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 Which is better than just calling it the Yankees. I don't know why they just didn't keep it the Red Barons. I wish they did. In recent years, they actually brought back the like the original SWB logo from the Red Barons because people liked it so much. It's iconic. It is. It's you know you think of like really iconic, nice looking team logos and like the Yankees logo on a hat. It's just like a really nice looking logo. The the you know, the, the LA the like the Dodgers mm-hmm. hat. Like the, you know, there's certain really iconic, nice looking the Phillies P. The Phillies P. It's great. Okay, that's that one I know. I'm not a sport But if you look up the Scranton the the original SWB, it's just a really nice looking, really great looking font, the way that it is overlaid. It's a, it's a good looking logo. Who knows, you know, if it's that iconic and it was in a different part of the country, there might've been a, a band called the Stone Wemple Pilots. There might've been. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could make our own scumbag petty, but we could call <laughs> the it the Stone Wemple, Wemple Pilots. <laughs> and just play in, near the Scranton uh, baseball stadium. That's good. Hey, if we can get a gig there, we'll probably get paid some money. Probably we'll be, more we'll than we get paid as the Super Weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we got to start the Stone Wemple Pilots. You want a drum? Yes, I do. There we go. We fixed it. <laughs> but I don't want to have to get the kit around. Like, I want it to just be there. <laughs> I don't want to have to, like, set it up or... We'll put it in the rider. Cart it around, you know. <laughs> it's just too much stuff. Oh, yeah. Drums stuff. are a mess, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. When you're the drummer, you're, you you got to deal with all that stuff. Yeah. 
so much stuff. Here's the thing though, like almost every drummer I know is still prepared way ahead any other member of the band when it comes to getting set up on stage. Yeah, that's true. Have to be. It's a rule. Well, because you know, I mean, if you're waiting on the drummer, you're waiting forever. There's like so many little doodads and wing nuts and well, there's also the, the compulsion to get the drum set up and just start making noises. Nice, yeah. Or if you're our drummer, Mikey, in, our, in the Dangerous Ponies, he would just start doing that between songs if it took too long. <laughs> and he would just start singing the Temptations. He would like do the opening film, the, I know you won't leave me. <laughs> just like screaming it at the top of his lungs. Yeah, he'd do Ain't Too Proud to Beg. He'd do, uh... Oh, that's when I would get bored and I would start playing that on bass. What is that one called? The uh, That's the meters. Sissy Strut. Sissy Strut, yeah, yeah. Iconic. He loved the drum beat to that song, so he would always play that. I love how the snare sounds in that recording. Oh, yeah. It's such a nice Drummer crack, crack nasty. to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's all groove. So I'm thinking good. about this now. We were probably pretty intolerable band members to have around, just like constantly interrupting, playing garbage between all of our own songs. <laughs> I mean, we were young. We were like 19, yeah. We started that band. Yeah. Don't finish that. (laughs) Why? What are you alluding to? Oh, maybe you didn't know the quote from the, what's the Keanu Reeves movie? Point Break? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, Ben Do you mind telling us? No, no, no. The listeners out there who know are losing their minds. That's the one with uh, Kiedis is in it, right? Yeah. uh, Is it just Kiedis or is Flea in that too? No, No, Flea is in it too, right? yeah, 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 yeah. And Kiedis shoots himself in the foot, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a long hair, young Ketus you got there. <laughs> you got yourself a Ketus. Oh boy. Is there any songs about California in that movie? There must be. I mean, it's that it takes place in be. California, right? I, Southern California? I think, yeah. There was surfing, skydiving, bank robbing gang. Yeah. 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 It's that's probably cool. California. It's probably California. You a big uh, chili peppers guy? I'm an appreciator. I'm not a big chili peppers guy, but. You got to keep this in mind that your bass player, Gorman, might be listening to this right now, and he yeah. is the biggest chili peppers He's a big uh, Frusciante appreciator, mm-hmm. which I am too. Uh, he's phenomenal. Um, I think that they do the, the thing that they do so well. And I think some of their songs I really, really love. Like Dosed is one of my favorite songs of all time. Oh, uh, wait, so which great. one is that? It's one that they rarely play live because there's actually three guitar parts. So they, they can't mm. what, replicate it. Or whatever, you only got one Frusciante. He needs that Michelangelo true. guitar. That's three true. necks. But it's great. I would love to see them live. I haven't seen them live. I, I would, have seen them live. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm they hearing. They bring the heat. Uh, one point Flea, I don't know, they don't do this all the time, but Flea also played trumpet for a little bit. Right. For Sean, they did his thing where he just breaks out into a cover song, the solo cover song. I think he did like a Simon and Garfunkel song at that show. And his voice is like so, so beautiful. Yeah. Kind of haunting. Yeah. His voice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all those harmonies on all the tracks. Yeah. Sean. Now we're talking about another guy who's the arranger of the band. Mm-hmm. I mean, Flea is a very talented guy as well. Don't get me wrong. And so is Will Ferrell on the drums. But yeah. John Frusciante's arrangement stuff is the vocal harmony. We've definitely mm-hmm. bit John Frusciante's vocal harmonies on some Super Weeks tracks just because there's the 60s and then you get into the early 70s with vocal harmonies and then you got Frusciante. Mm-hmm. There's a whole era where you just miss it. The 80s? <laughs> <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, I've heard music from the 80s. It doesn't sound like that. Yeah, it's either you have like gospel singers in the background or it's like synthetic stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we were, what's his name? Gary Newman? You're in my car? Is that his name? Yeah, he's cool. He rules. But there's a lot of synthetic backing vocal stuff too. Hey, new technology. What can I say? Well, that's the thing I talk about. I guess you guys probably have your own theories on this already, but whenever I have to talk to like a young producer, like trying to start out, like, oh, how do I like innovate? And it's like, well, most innovation comes from two things in creative arts where it's like 
One is new technology comes out and it gives people just like a new means by which to create. Or the alternative is to like then combine other genres into one thing. I'm like blanking on a good example. I could only think of jazz fusion, but like that's just like an example of it where they take like the complexities of jazz and the groove of funk and then just kind of put that together. Because like, Evan for the longest time like hates the 80s. I think that's kind of why he skipped <laughs> over that. He's like coming around to certain artists from the 80s now. Sure. But that production style to me is so fascinating because it is a hundred percent result of the technology of the yeah, time. Yeah, they were like, oh, here's this new stuff we can use. Let's use it. On everything. on everything, yeah. It really every hit, every snare hit is reverse, reverse gated reverb, yes. like a super weeks vocal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love a gated reverb. I'm not gonna lie, but yeah. there's a lot of other things about the '80s that make it very hard to listen to. Whereas, like, I wish I loved a lot of Prince's songs, but like, just being so into the MIDI of the time and the sounds of the time, I feel like. It's very of the time. It's very aged. Mm -hmm. So like listening to it, I'm like, oh, these sounds really just don't. Why couldn't have you just done this on acoustic instruments or like. Yeah, which is why I, sometimes I, I really like seeking out live performances of the, some of those songs. Because you're like, the song is so good. Mm. The presentation is not like what my brain likes to hear. So sometimes like the live performance of it right. when it's like is a more like acoustic instrument focused performance than you kind of just listen to the song for what it is rather than like analyzing the production choices of it. If you yeah. want to talk about Prince with that, the album Small Club is an incredible live album where it's like him performing in a small club and just like the, like the absolute, like most like slaying musicians playing on it. And another example I always think about, this isn't on a record, but there are like, there's like archival BET footage of this where um, what's the Zap, Roger Chapman's band, they played... On BET, I don't know if it was like for an award show or a talk show or something, but like it's a song that you hear on like the albums. It's like 100% MIDI and then just vocoder, but it's just like the tightest band in the universe playing like basically like their MIDI instruments live, but just like that tiny amount of human variance and it being all natural sounds. It's like the, the grooviest and tightest performance I've ever heard in my life. Sounds awesome. Our friend John Bacon samples that particular performance, different sections of it for electronic music he makes, like, or used to sample it all the time. I will find the name of that song at that performance, and I'll try to put it in the show notes so I can think of it, because I greatly encourage everyone to listen to it. I mean, Zapp and Roger's pretty cool. Roger Troutman's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, if you know, like, the Tupac song... Uh, California Love. California Love. All that vocoder on it is Roger Troutman from Zapp. And he's just the king of vocoder in Talkbox. He just makes it sing like nobody else. Well, anyway, speaking of... I want to talk about Ben's guitars now. Yeah, I was going to say, I was trying to transition <laughs> to that for Evan. Speaking of acoustic instruments or real instruments, let's talk about Ben's guitars. So when we toured together, you were playing a gold top Les Paul. Mm -hmm. Taught me about putting the strings over the bridge, mm -hmm. winding it over for the nice straight tension instead of having that angle. Yeah. Good trick. Yeah, I like it. It's like the old Jimmy Page trick, I guess. Mm -hmm. or I, I don't know I've seen it attributed to him it's probably a million different people do it but yeah so you basically just save one of those extra little uh, I don't know what they're called like the little circle at the end of a string mm -hmm. little ball the nugget yeah the, the little nugget, nugget at yeah. the end of the string you cut the string off of one of those and then you loop it through the new string and then you put it backwards through through the bridge and then loop it around and then yeah you get more straight tension and I think that at least for, for my guitar, it just 
chimes better. It rings out more nicely. More sustain. More sustain. If you look at your phone now, you'll see a diagram that Ben has drawn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The tone is stored in the balls. (laughs) Yeah, the nuggets, the string balls. Yeah. Yeah. But lately, you know, you've been playing Nash guitars. Yeah, I've been playing Nash Wayfarers. I've also, even more lately, been playing Heritage guitars. Ooh. Yeah. So Heritage is a company that took over the Gibson Kalamazoo plant Mm -hmm. when that closed down. And they struck up some sort of arrangement with Gibson with all these kind of like master builders who had been with Gibson for a while. They can use the same sort of specs of a lot of the Gibson guitars, but they would have to use a different name and change the headstocks. So they're just like really, really nice, well-built Gibson-esque guitars. So I have a, uh, I have a gold top called an H150, mm-hmm. just like a standard Les Paul. And then a 535, which is like their version of a 335. Mm-hmm. And they're two of the nicest guitars I've ever played. They're so, so awesome. Just really balanced. I've always been a humbucker person. I've tried to venture away from them and just never feels quite right. But yeah, I've kind of always just been like Gibson through a Marshall kind of person. Mm-hmm. Just hard, you can't beat hard it. for Jimmy me Page to beat I've seen yeah. you dabble with oranges before. Yep. Yeah, but- I have a, an orange dual dark that is a really nice amp and it's got a, a built-in uh, attenuator, which is really helpful. And I actually used that for the, uh, the Black Sabbath cover set. And it was, it was really nice to like really push that amp. And I played it as a full stack out of two cabs and oh, hell it, was, yeah. it was awesome. Holy yeah, shit. It felt great. <laughs> but usually you play 800s? Yeah, I, I have an 800, uh, JCM 800 Marshall that I've owned for a long time. Prior to that, I had this really cool JCM 900 SLX, which was mm-hmm. like... That's the punk amp from it the was, 90s? It, it, well, it was... Um, Ace Freely was the face of it. Really? Yeah. Of I Kiss fame? Of Kiss fame. And the funny thing about the 900 SLX was that the gain went to 20 instead of 10. <laughs> <laughs> when 11's not enough. It's a good bit because it's... You know, it's arbitrary what they say, you know, zero to 10, but it's zero to 20 instead, which is just, it's just funny to look at. But we were playing uh, a show, probably 2011. We played at the Firehouse in Birmingham and they had a pretty rickety stage and there was a fair amount of uh, stage diving going on and, and we're playing and all of a sudden I just feel this like weighted thud right behind me. And I'm, I'm just like, ah, I'm pretty sure I know what that sound <laughs> means. And I turn around and the, the head is just, face down on the stage and Ooh. fallen off of the cab. Did the input and, jacket broken? Um, surprisingly, no. And it started crackling a little bit. And I, I'm an idiot, but I kicked it and it came right back. Like it came right back full tone. <laughs> uh, and I finished the set with it just still kind of just on the ground. And then um, the next day at the next show, it just wouldn't turn on. I had like fried, wow. fried something. So it gave its last effort. The, ki- to the, yeah, the kick. Yeah, I kicked it. It like, yeah, pushed out the last bit of uh, power that it could, yeah. I got it fixed after that. They said that the preamp circuit board had fried and they like tried to patch it up or something. And I think the person that worked on it messed something up because it works. It doesn't sound as good as it did. And it sort of like uh, the the volume wavers a lot. Mm. Um, So I can't like, I can't really tour with it or play with it very much. But it was an awesome amp. But the 800 is really, really nice. I bought it off somebody who modded it and added like this little switch on the back that basically like runs the preamp tubes a bit hotter. Cool. So it just breaks up really nicely and doesn't have to be like fully cranked to like reach really nice saturation. That's what we hear on a lot of your records, right? 
Yeah, so I've used that on most of the records. I've seen that um, in Will's studio quite a bit from yeah. Instagram posts. and Yeah. So when we play live, I play the Marshall head through an orange cab. Sometimes the Marshall cabs can be a little brittle or a little fizzy on the top end. And the, the orange cabs, I think, are just like a little bit more rounded uh, sounding. I like the juxtaposition of the Marshall tone going through the, the orange cab. Both Celestian speakers, but the orange... British voice is voiced for more of that thick mid-range. Yes. Instead of the Marshall, what is it called? The 75 T's or whatever the speakers that are in there. The I think so, yeah. I hate them. They're my least favorite speaker on the planet. I hate them. Yeah. Occasionally you'll <laughs> find like the old Marshall calves that have like the like the vintage greenbacks and those sound awesome, but kind of just your standard run-of-the-mill Marshall cab. Some of them are just not. I don't know. I, I like pairing the, the Marshall head with a different cab sometimes. Well, Marshall Mathers, if you're listening, owner of Marshall, Marshall Mathers, <laughs> fix it. I uh, once got to tour with another Scranton band, the Menzingers. And when we were on that tour, Greg was like, man, I just like don't like my cab, but I have this brand new vintage Marshall cab Yeah. that, you know, what, what should I do? And I was like, well, you should probably just put greenbacks in it. And then he did. And he was like, Fucking, that's it. That was yeah. the tone. And I was like, that's the tone, man. They're Marshall great. Greenbacks, Orange usually uses the G100H and the K100H or something is what they're called. Something like that. But that's what Chris and I had in our Orange cab for a long time until I was an idiot. And when I was doing something in it, I left the speakers plugged in and I had the back of the cab just resting against it and it fell over and it literally pulled the, um, you know, where you solder the cable to out of the speaker. Ugh. So it literally pulled the voice, you know, the cables out of the voice coil. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, I ruined those speakers. That's awesome. And uh, they stopped making the G 100 H's and now they make the K 100 H's. And that's what I replaced until I removed them. And then I put greenbacks in the cab because nice. what else are you going to do? We have a recording studio. We have a couple JCM 800s. You know, if you want that rock tone, you got to get the green. You got to get the green bags. You got to. The 800s are, are tricky, though, because some of them are amazing and have this magic to them. And then some of them are really tough to dial in. It's true. I got very lucky with mine. I've used that pretty exclusively, like in the, in the studio and then on most of our tours. Recently, I, I also acquired a, uh, a Bluesbreaker reissue. Mm -hmm. And I use that with an attenuator. And it's really nice. And I jump the channels. That's that Marshall combo amp yeah. that Joe Reinhardt also has. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing is sick. We, I used that nice for actually one. a bunch of solos on, I can't remember which, maybe Bad Year, one of, one of our records. It's a great amp. I, I think that it, it does for me what I wish a Fender Twin did. Oh, sound like a Marshall? Well, <laughs> essentially, yeah. But like, it it's, sounds totally different from the 800. But like, it's just like, before I used it with, the attenuator, I, you know, kind of couldn't get it dialed in without it being just like blisteringly loud, mm -hmm. but it has such a nice warmth to it and it's very full and the, the low end is really nice. I, I like how it sounds a lot. It, it's like less bitey than the 800, mm. uh, a little smoother, but I usually use a, um, a Earthquaker Palisades as my overdrive. Mm -hmm. So I'll be able to kind of just like use a clean-ish tone, but it's kind of saturated and a little bit driven from the amp and then use that for like main sort of overdriven parts. Yeah, it is an ideal amp, a noble goal for any Fender twin. So Fender Mathers, if you're listening, owner of Fender, Fender Mathers, uh, you know what to do. You got to fix it. 
Damn, I thought that joke would go over so much better. <laughs> no, the, the the Fender, so the Fender Twin is a great amp too. Uh, similar to the 800, like some of them, so, some of the vintage ones are like amazing and they have this real, like magic to them. And then some of them to me are just like a little bit harsh sounding. Mm-hmm. The reissued ones are awesome. And actually Mark, our guitar player, uses a Fender Twin reissue and a, a Shawbucker Fender Tele. And it sounds so good. And maybe I'm drawn to like the more like martially tone because I've always played with guitar players that gravitate towards the more Fender amp tone and they complement each other really nicely in a band with a lot of sound happening. So we'll have two guitars with bass, but also this very saturated keyboard sound, usually an organ sound, but often now she's been using a lot, a lot more like, uh, like Rhodesy sort of tones, which is really nice too, but Hmm. She's using what the Casio 403? Uh, the 401. Yeah, 401. I had one of those. I gave it to John Bacon, as you mentioned before, but mm-hmm. love that keyboard. They're so cool. They're so cool. Is that for the lead on Cat's Cradle too? Is it that keyboard? No, so that's a that's a Nord. That's a Nord okay, yeah. uh, Electro. Because that's more of like a Rhodesy sound, like a distorted yeah. Rhodesy sound. Yeah. But she uses an overdrive pedal live with Nord. Yeah, it's a really cool tone. Yeah, it sounds great. As I alluded to at the beginning of this episode, I was lucky enough to do sound for you guys on a couple tours. Mm hmm. And number one, all of your tones are incredible. Now you have like the most professional lineup, especially like Teddy, your drummer is just like an insane drummer, incredible vocalist. Like the three, four harmonies you guys do now. It's like, you know, you're an arena band. Like, you know. Teddy's, yeah, he's, he's special. Like he's so good at every aspect of music. Like he can play everything. Like he's incredible at piano and guitar and he writes songs and he's such a good drummer. Everything he does is so tasteful. And we did a record called Spin when it was sort of a transitional point in the band where it was just just me and Brianna playing. So I played drums, bass and guitar on on the record. And I, I love I love the record. I love how it came out. And it was a, a great and accurate kind of snapshot of us at the time and what the band had been through and, and this and that. It's great. And then the more recent record that we did is after Teddy officially joined the band. And it is it is such like a drum-driven record in such a cool way. Drum and bass, honestly, with the addition of Colin. So when Colin started playing with us, he was playing guitar. And before we started writing and recording the most recent record, I Won't Care How You Remember Me, he kind of came up to me and was like, hey, I kind of want to challenge myself to focus more on bass instead of guitar and play and write as a bassist on the the record and he just like some sort of like switch flipped and he just became like a monster bass player like so good switching between finger style and with a pick depending on the song and just like writing some of the coolest parts like the last record that we did like you could really hear everybody's like musical personality kind of coming through on it which is what so, is the so one cool. song that starts with just like take you like like uh, uh it's called anniversary anniversary i should know this because i've seen you guys play like 45 times at this point from doing saturday <laughs> but i'm just so bad at something else anniversary yeah. i feel like is a perfect example of that for every member of the band because like one you kind of get to cascade in individually mm-hmm. but also it's like everyone's like little tasteful style gets to like get featured as they enter the song yeah like that feel that Teddy does to come in is like so it's like technical but so groovy at yeah. the same time and then Gorman's bass line is like syncopated and really distinct but like not in a way that it's like distracting and like everything serves the song really well yeah but you leave so much space for each other to have like musical interplay in that song it's one yeah. of like not just to listen to but you're, this is here's the third way you can like interact with the song getting to mix with live 
is like yet another way to like experience and love a song that where you have like an intimacy with it, where you're like, okay, I know like this like guitar part's coming up here. I'm going to ride yeah. this fader. And like, just to get to like hear each of you get featured in the arrangement, but also make sure it gets accentuated as everybody comes in. It's just like the most satisfying thing to do. Thanks. And that's exactly what makes you great at mixing live music. Working for you. Well, yes. Uh, and accentuating different parts and, and actively mixing and reacting to different things and anticipating different parts of the songs and stuff. Oh yeah. Any young audio people out there, Live mixing is not set it and forget it. It's not, okay, we did sound check. Now I go on a smoke break for two hours. Mm -hmm. You're there to like, you know, make the band sound this close to, not necessarily a record, but like a dynamic and like a good experience for the listener where instead yeah. of just being like a flat thing. Let me tell you, 2023 was the year of seeing the worst touring sound, like worst <laughs> Oh, okay. Drag them, Evan. There, dude, <laughs> I, there are at least four artists that I was so, I like four of my top five records of the top 10 records of the year. I got to see live this last year and it was maybe the four worst live sound experiences all with their own touring sound people I have ever heard in my life. And I don't understand yeah. what's happening so with I, that I have because when I see you yeah. and when I see Jake Katz, who are, you know, my two probably closest live sound friends do and, sound and for Jake bands. And Jake is a legend. He's an unbelievable I'm like, good these, audio guy. These shows sound incredible. Mm -hmm. But then you go see Tanuki Chan at Johnny Brenda's and you get texts from Jeff Serafinis that say, I am not doing sound. <laughs> he don't, texted don't blame Chris me. Yeah, yeah. to text me <laughs> yeah. because he saw me at the show <laughs> to tell him that he is not doing sound and like, it was the worst. I don't know if their sound person has ever used a high or low pass filter before, yeah. but you could hear the DI bass distortion pedal. Like they didn't cut the high end on it. And you just hear that DI bass Ugh. sizzle. And I'm just like, <laughs> somebody fucking shoot me in the face right now. Why is this what this sounds like? Yeah. Uh, like I get it. If you did, you kept some in like for aggression or like whatever sure. on the record, it kind of sounds like that. But dog, like I don't need any 10 K bass sizzle in the mix. That's for other things. Other things live up there. <laughs> and <Yeah>. Like <laughs> Jeff doing sound for the opening band winter at that show. It was one of the like most phenomenal dynamic sound yeah. like performances I saw all year. So it was like, and Jeff, had never done sound for winter before and probably had no idea what winter sounded like mm -hmm. until maybe he listened to them on the way to the show or something. Yeah. But like, it was incredible. And like the way the emotion that was evoked from that performance was incredible. And then seeing Tanuki Chan, this band I love so much, just like sound like absolute fucking garbage. <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck? Why are you bringing this? Just let Jeff do your sound. It would be yeah. amazing. And if, it would cost you less. Yeah. You wouldn't have to pay a touring sound guy. Yeah. We had a, a pretty cool experience. We did the, the Coheed and Cambria cruise a couple of years Ooh, ago. Yeah. And another super talented sound engineer, a good friend of mine, Sam Smiley, who does a lot of touring with us, was on the cruise with us doing mixing our live sets. And Sheer Mag, incredible Philly band, was also on the cruise. And so we were really stoked to get to see them play. And so it's like the second, maybe it's the third day. Regardless, they're playing on like the main ship deck, like the main party deck during the day. And, you know, we're watching them play and they're playing very well, but it just like sounds so wacky. Mm -hmm. And we look over and it's just like some sound dude who's just fully checked out and like not feeling it, not actively mixing, not trying to like make it sound better. 
probably <clears throat> didn't do his homework, you know, listen to any of the bands. He's just there for the paycheck, whatever. And so Sam Smiley, we see him kind of from a distance, like goes over and kind of stands near front of house and he's kind of looking and he's talking to the sound guy. Like there, here, here he goes. And then we kind of see them have a little exchange and then the sound guy just kind of shrugs and just gestures like his hands towards the, the soundboard, basically like, yeah, go ahead, take over. <laughs> and in a live setting, I am now hearing it go from the flattest, most unimpressive, like uninspired mix. And, and Sheermag is like very groovy, very funky, like a lot of guitar interplay, mm-hmm. really powerful, amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so now we're like, okay, I can't feel the kick drum at all. So now I'm watching Smiley over there doing his thing, like just actively improving this mix. And little by little, all the little parts that you want to hear, you start feeling the kick drum. There's now separation between the two guitars. Now you can like really feel the bass grooving with the kick drum. Like actively you Mm -hmm. saw it happen and you saw the impact that someone who really cares about doing good sound, you saw that impact just come to fruition as it, in real time. It was, I wish a, it was, it was the coolest like thing. video so people could justify my yeah. career a little <laughs> bit more. But that's the thing is like, I always say this too, like the best job I can do, like the most perfect sound I can do means that nobody knows I even exist, but they just have the best possible experience with the music. And they're just like, like yeah, something about that show is just like, it was truly special and mm-hmm. nobody ever talks about it being the sound. And like, that's fine. I'm not asking for that. Except for maybe for like my parents to like have an <laughs> idea of what I do. But it's, such as like a symbiotic thing of like the listener's experience of live music. It has to get filtered, not just through the equipment, but like through a person. Yeah. Well, there's so many variables too. There's, you know, different rooms, there's different PAs, there's Mm -hmm. the gear, there's how the band is playing that night. There's, you know, everything. So like, there's so many variables you're working against, especially on a tour, you're in a different room every single night and you're just adjusting and trying to like present the music in the best way it can be presented despite all of these like changing variables. Yeah, precisely. And it's your job to like make sure that you, because the thing is that you're starting, like the peak is like how the band is doing, how they're feeling, how they're playing. And it's your job to keep it at that height. Mm -hmm. Because everything a sound person can do wrong is going to notch that down (laughs) every little bit. So it's like, you don't have the power to make the band better than what they are but you can certainly present them in the best possible light and not yeah. ruin things and for make everybody. it impactful, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of touring with you, one of my favorite parts of touring with you is your delightful pranks that you pull. And I don't even know how to really turn this into a story, but it started with us on the Me Without You farewell tour that we did, where you found outside of a venue, I think it was just discarded in the trash can. It wasn't, yeah. A mannequin head that we began to affectionately call uh, Trash Head Larry. Trash Head Larry. I'm sure the listeners, they're on the edge of their seat wondering what the prank is here. Well, Ben had the inspired idea to start hiding this mannequin head in the gear of different members of Me Without You's, like carrying cases and things like that. Not tell them about it. And just, we all sat back and watched as they each <laughs> discovered like a, a disembodied head just like sitting in a kick, or not even sitting in a kick drum case. Ricky picked up his kick drum case and that lid fell off and the head rolled out. Oh, yeah. And I will always remember what he <laughs> screamed afterwards because it's like nonsensical, this profanity. But he just screamed, oh my Jesus, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> As the head bounced away across the parking lot away from him. 
And then of course he was like, oh, that's why all, all you were waiting out here. It's like, <laughs> like, I saw you guys hanging around. I was wondering what was going on. And he's like, he's like, like pretending like he was pissed off for a second. He's like, all right, who are we pranking next? Let's get Beaver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got Beef pretty good. But yeah, I, I kind of felt bad after the fact because it was like, they just got done playing, like pouring their souls into this performance. Like their if, final tour, if, yeah. If you know, I mean, especially if you know, if you know Ricky and how he performs and how he, like he puts every bit of himself into that performance and so now he's just like going out to get his cases and pack down his drums and you know, he's- The last he, thing he's thinking about <laughs> is a disembodied head rolling yeah. out of his gear, yeah. But yeah, he- It's a perfect time to prank him, really. We got him good. We got him <laughs> real good, yeah. You gotta get him at their other height, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like being a bad sound guy. You, like, you find them at their peak and you really just take them down a few pegs. Yeah. But my favorite part of it is how creative you got with Trashhead Larry over time. Because, you know, he was just a disembodied head at first, but then- as we made more and more elaborate scenarios, Ben started to build bodies for the head out of people's clothes that they left behind in the green room. So mm -hmm. it was like the band members' clothes just like all like constructed into a torso for this head. And, oh, I'll let you tell it, like, because you had some of your really inspired kind of uh, creative designs for it. Do any of them stick out to you? Well, we, we did in, in some of the sketchier cities when we would have to park the van like away from the venue or we didn't have eyes on it, we would set up Larry either you know, sleeping in the first bench or, or sitting upright in the passenger side. Just, you know, because if you take a quick glance, it's pretty convincing. So it, it was it was actually a nice, uh, you know, theft deterrent, maybe. Oh, yeah. Well, arms crossed, like a long sleeve shirt, like arms crossed <laughs> yeah. and a baseball cap on over the eyes. So you yeah. can't like quite see. That's the other part about Larry is that his head was like slightly caved in. <laughs> it was so a little like, caved in, yeah. It was like really disturbing looking. Yeah, which is maybe why he was thrown in the trash in the first place, but- but there's so much, he had so much more to give. You know, he didn't, he didn't belong. Like his story didn't end there in that trash can. He was a protector. And, yeah. He made you laugh. He had a yeah. great sense of humor. Mm -hmm. What would you put on his gravestone? Trash head Larry, a joke to some, a friend to all. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that. I'd say a uh, trash head Larry, no body, big heart. <laughs> <laughs> so currently trash head Larry, we have a, um, a base rig. It's like a SVT rack mount in a road case. That's way too big for just having the, the head in it. So in addition to the base head, there's also his head mounted in this box. So there's been a couple of shows that Colin used that rig for where the venue staff would be like, you know, putting the head up on the, cab and taking the the front panel off and then you're just staring at <laughs> eye level with with this mannequin head yeah that's a good bit it's a pretty good bit yeah he's got a second life he keeps going my favorite one though is when you still had trash larry and i joined you for another tour with manchester orchestra mm -hmm. and they had zero awareness of this thing and so we started to reorganize their green room with Trashhead Larry's like head and like making him a body like, on the couch. Yeah. And the was Kevin Devine opening that tour? Is that mm -hmm. what it was? Kevin Devine walked around the corner and saw Ben and me like scrambling in like, their green room. Holding holding sort of like a like Larry's body. Yeah. And yeah. And he was just like, what's going on here? <laughs> oh, are we doing a prank? And then he like immediately jumped in and started helping. He's like, he's gonna need shoes. He needs feet and yeah. like arranging his feet. Well, you get a really nice venue, like if you're playing a show with Manchester Orchestra, it's going to be at a really nice venue. There's always a bunch of really nice fluffy towels, which are great for fashioning a body, you know, like <laughs> yeah, you stuff, yeah. stuff a couple into a jacket and 
you got yourself a torso. Roll them up the right way. You got like a thigh and then you got like the calf muscle <laughs> area too. Like, and it looks like there's a joint. Like it yeah. looks really convincing. Mm-hmm. And if you turn on the TV, what else would Trash Head Larry be watching except for Scoob on Netflix? Yeah. That band kept going in to mm-hmm. make sure the screensaver didn't go on so the band would see Scoob when they walked into the green room. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know if this means the prank went over well or not, but we were a little bit down the hallway when they came into the green room after the show and we just saw Larry go flying, you know, Jazzy Jeff style out the door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> after after a few screams so I, I think that means it was a success oh yeah for sure great success we didn't get any complaints yeah. <laughs> but one of my favorite touring experiences with you is not just the pranks but also you guys love to have like wholesome entertaining games and you know we have left right center or the center right whatever it's called mm-hmm. uh which of course is a classic i think many people are aware of but you introduced me to a game that is like personally near and dear to my heart now like i love it so much called pass the pigs yep where, Evan, are you familiar with this at all? No, but I saw it over there. Yeah, I have the, the box uh, in the corner of, yeah, of the room here. You roll a couple of plastic pigs like dice, mm-hmm. and depending on how they land, there's like certain names for each position, like a, a razor back, whether they land on their back. A trotter. A trotter if they land on their, their feet. feet. There's the leaning jowler. On the side, yeah. Leaning jowler is tough. That's one where like, it kind of lands on its cheek and it's up on a diagonal. But depending on how the two of them land, uh, it'll get you like certain like point values. And if they land on opposite sides. There's like a dot indicating what side is up. They land on right if they're opposing sides. That's a pig out. Yeah, you, yeah, you lose your your points for that you lose round. Your points. It's it's a really simple nice game. So, we've done so many tours over the years where like, you know, you you see the other bands at the venue and you know, you have your little interactions throughout the tour, but you don't really have like those bonding experiences until maybe like one of the last days or two of the tour where everyone, you know, sinks in where you're like, "Oh, I'm been around all these people and now we're about to like end this tour and probably not see them again regularly, you know, maybe ever again. So we started bringing, I think first we started bringing Uno, which is simple game. You can get a lot of people playing. It doesn't involve a lot of setup or learning or anything, but it like, you can get a bunch of people in. Cause you know, sometimes on tour you're like, Oh, we should do something fun on the off day. And then the off day shows up and you're probably driving like, nine hours and maybe you're two hours behind the other band and you get to like the same place that you're staying and then it never really works out. But like you have these like really fun, quick, engaging games and it kind of just like brings everybody together in a really nice way. So Pass the Pigs is a game that I used to play at my grandma's house. It's been around a long time. And uh, it was funny because when I first started bringing that on tour, our bass player Colin was like, oh, I used to play this at my grandmother's house too growing up it was making the rounds in like the early 90s yeah standard Um, uh, game they have but i think it like had a resurgence because it started being sold in like you know targets and stuff lately so but yeah it's it's just like it's a roll of the dice like there's no skill involved there's really no learning except for like how to calculate the points so as long as you have like one or two people that know how to play already you know they can do all the tallying until everyone else gets the hang of it so that and left center right or, you know, just two dice centric games where you can have a lot of different people playing and you can involve a lot of people. So it's like a really nice sort of like bonding experience on tour for like a quick, easy game. And a great money making experience. Yeah, too for me. that's nice, too, because you can involve <laughs> money. You could play without money, of course, but, you know, you can. So you guys are essentially playing Pig Silo. It's like, yeah, it was it's like, like Pig Silo. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So it's like, you know, low, low stakes gambling, you, you know, usually like 
everyone throws in a dollar, you know, a so, house, a diamond ring. Yeah. <laughs> if I had any of those things. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I could ante up those. But yeah, I remember the last part of the tour, I guess it was at the end of the chunk that I did with you guys. I forget. Yeah, Lexington, we were in the maybe? South somewhere. What was it? Lexington. Maybe. Lexington. Yeah. yeah. Kentucky. It was that outdoor venue, but it had like a little house on the side of the venue where like all of the bands and the venue staff were all hanging out. So by the end of the night, we were all playing, I guess it was left, right, center. Yeah. And it was like maybe 20 of us at the outset. And it, it's just like, everyone's like yelling and screaming and like jumping on each other's backs in excitement when someone like gets like a big bundle of cash. Yeah, I don't even great. remember who won that game. Might've been Greg. Might've been Greg. Lucky you. Greg. But yeah, when you play LCR, instead of using the tokens in the original way that you play the game, you can use money. We usually do three $1 bills. Yeah. Just, you know, low, stakes. low stakes. But if you get like, the whole tour involved. It's only a $3 buy-in and you might win like 80 bucks or something. Like it's, that's a good, it's a good time. Well, between that and past the pigs, there was a night where we played, it was a live nation venue. I can't remember which, which one it was, but I think it was the night that we all got COVID. Mm. I guess it was like eight days or something later. Like we all just started dropping like flies, but that yeah. night was blissful mm -hmm. because we were playing past the pigs and like the most beautiful green room I've ever been in. They had like nitro brew coffee on tap. Yeah. And they gave us all free socks that had the venue's name on the side. Yep. And here we were back there just tossing pork. It was just great. rolling on the table. Yep. Yeah. Fliff. It was great. Like a sultan. Not even counting it. <laughs> Sounds like a nice time. It was like one of my favorite moments on tour. Yeah. And then also that was the venue that the shower also had a toilet in it <laughs> in the bathroom. So yeah. you could sit. You could multitask. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you had a real messy one, you could just reach out and, and turn the faucet on and uh, get the shower going without even lifting yourself up off the seat. <laughs> so they thought of everything there. They did. Sounds like a nice time. Oh, yeah. Highly recommend. It was named after a president. It was the Van, Van Buren. The Van Buren, yeah. Okay, yeah. Nice, Van Buren. nice venue. I got there eventually. <laughs> that whole rambling bit there was me trying to remember the name of the venue. <laughs> Sideburns. I don't. That's how I would have tried to remember it. Yeah. I was trying to be Mikey. Nice. Yeah, we need our surrogate Mikey. Oh, yeah, we didn't even address that. Mikey's not here tonight, but you know, he'll be back at some point on the podcast. Don't worry about it. Sorry, Ben. You missed out on on our premium uh, our premium member. I love Mikey. And uh, if you look at your phone now, you'll see a photo of Mikey. Maybe I'll just put one on for the, for the episode <laughs> image just so people don't miss him too much. I love me some Mikey. As, as do we all. Sweet boy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I covered most of the things that I wanted to pick your brain about, but... Was there anything that you have been dying to let loose on a podcast? Well, the only very new thing that I've been getting into lately is playing pickleball, actually. Oh, I've done it. It's fun. It's really fun. It gets a lot of like, you know, a lot of hate yeah. from, from people. But I remember you uh, being so excited because I did down at Forest Hills and they have pickleball courts there. Yeah. And you texted me out of nowhere. I think I was posting stuff on Instagram. Yeah. And then you just responded like, pickleball courts. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Well, so yeah, it's, uh, tell it, me. It, well, it's just a very fun sport. Like, uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up playing tennis very much or ping pong very much, but like it, I did a little bit of both here and there and really enjoyed them, but I was never very good at either of them. And pickleball is just like the best parts of both. And it's very intuitive and it doesn't take a whole lot to get at least halfway decent at it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's just like a nice thing. I think sometimes when, you know, when you have sort of like a unusual schedule and kind of like no reliable rhythm to your life. It's nice to like, you know, living the 
touring lifestyle, right? You're either like totally gone or you're sometimes just bored out of your mind or you're like, you have too much to do or whatever. It's nice to introduce a little bit of like structure to your weeks, you know? So we try to play like once a week and it's good exercise and it's good, you know, socialization outside of, you know, the world of just music. So it's been like a, like a good kind of wholesome, holistic thing. Good exercise just for having some routine. It's a lot of fun to play. We usually play outdoors, but during the winter, we found a couple of uh, indoor spots that, that hmm. do it. So, Can you describe the ball itself to me? Because I feel like a big part of pickleball is that the ball doesn't bounce that much. It's almost like a wiffle ball with just like a bunch of holes in it. There's a slight difference between an indoor and an outdoor ball. The indoor ball has less holes, but they're a little bit larger. And the outdoor ball has more holes and they're a lot smaller. So it's like a little bit harder and it bounces a little bit higher on the pavement or whatever you, you play on. Mm. So there are like nicer courts, but we usually just play in like these kind of beat up old tennis courts in uh, FDR Park. But yeah, so it's sort of like a wiffle ball and it's a paddle, not like a racket. It's not like stringed like a racket, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's like giant ping pong, it sounds like. Yeah, because of how the, the, the ball is sort of like a plastic wiffle ball with a lot of like air resistance from the holes, you spend a lot less time than you would with tennis or ping pong, like chasing the ball around, like mm -hmm. if, like you hit it and it goes like, goes flying. It's good. It's a fun sport. You know, it's just been like good to get some like exercise and some routine. Oh yeah. That's what skateboarding was for me. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Like, just to like have something predictable and physical, mm -hmm. especially the thing that's like too, is like with touring, like the most work you could possibly do, not to like belittle like all the other things around it, but like actively do on your feet at one given stretch is like three hours if you're the Rolling Stones or Bruce Springsteen. Mm -hmm. you know? But for the most part, like you're playing like an hour and a half maybe. And that kind of goes by like a blur. And then you load in and out and that takes like however long. And if you have stage hands, like you may not even do that much of that in the end right. either. And then you just sit. Like you sit in the van, you sit in the venue, you just kind of sit. You sit at the coffee shop, you sit, sit, at, the sit at the donut yeah. shop, you sit, sit at, at the, the diner. You sit at a lot the, of sitting. The dive in. Dive in? <laughs> <laughs> I think I just came up with a new con. Oh, wait, hold on. That's <laughs> encouraging drinking and driving. Forget that concept. The dive bar. No, it's diners, diners, and diners. Yes, yes, the, yes, yes, yes. Of course. With our host. Flavortown. We'll have to work on that. We don't want to get sued by uh, Guy Fietti. He won't sue. He's cool. He might just donkey sauce us when we least expect it, I I'll guess. take it. You'll take it. <laughs> well, Evan, do you have any other thoughts? No. So I had a bad <laughs> bit that I was thinking up for this where in honor of Tiger's Jaw... Mm -hmm. I thought we could do some tiger's drawing and just see what kind of tiger news we have on the internet. So I was just going to Google the word tiger. Yeah. And I'm going to read the headlines of the articles that come up and let's just see how you feel about them. Let's see what we got. Okay. This was my bad idea. I came up with 15 minutes before we started. <laughs> my other idea was we would record covers of each person who comes on the show's band. Yeah. And like sometimes deliberately do really bad jobs. And be like, all right, now critique our cover of your song. <laughs> to see how honest they would be about yeah. it. That's pretty good. I mean, we already put you on the spot once today. And, you know, you didn't deserve to be put on the spot like that. Well, I'll, I'll wait here for you know a few hours while you guys go. I mean, I can just go get an acoustic guitar right now and I'll, <laughs> I'll play you a couple of hits. All right. Well, unfortunately, all the Tiger news I found is just about Tiger Woods. That's not really that much fun. Yeah. There is a cut off headline that I, I find uh, pretty entertaining. NBC Sports. Jack Nicklaus, Tiger Woods would kill everybody on senior tour. <laughs> I feel like that's probably golf related, but it's- He's contagious. Totally. <laughs> Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods? Come on, you're 
really venturing down the Mikey rabbit hole right here without Mikey being here. He probably yeah, give oh, he's you gonna be so bummed fucking dissertation this. on that headline. <laughs> yeah. The Tiger Woods Nike divorce is a downer. It's okay to mourn it. That's from Golf Magazine. Uh, and then Unstoppable in Red. Tiger Woods and Nike at the Masters. That's a headline about him just wearing a red shirt. <laughs> he looks unstoppable in that red Nike shirt. Yeah, yeah he's just a blur. Yeah, uh, well, this, this bit was a flop. Uh, let's move along. Uh, well, I guess in that case, Ben, I guess we can move on to plugs. Is there anything that you want people to check you out on or where can they find you online? Tigersjaw.com has all of our tour dates and, and whatnot on there. If you're listening to this soon after it comes out, we're doing some acoustic shows in mid-February in and around PA and New York City. And then in end of March through the end of April, we're going on tour uh, with Movements, Webbed Wing, and Parish. Spiritual Cramp is also on a couple of the dates at the end, but that's kind of like a full uh, U.S. loop. That's all the touring that uh, we have coming up. We semi-recently released a split 7-inch with Joyce Manor where we covered each other's songs. Is that where you got the idea, Evan? For what? Where you said you were going to record the uh, cover of the guest songs before they no, came on the pod. Unrelated. I love both bands. You I've done sound for both bands. Do yeah. sound with both mm-hmm. bands. Yeah. Ten years ago, I helped record one of Joyce Manor's albums. Oh, we'll save that for when we can uh, trick one of them into coming on the podcast. We'll talk all about that then. But sorry, Ben, continue your plugs. I mean, that's kind of it. HelloDonuts.com. Hello, yeah, HelloDonuts. Uh, I think it's HelloDonutsPHL.com. <laughs> uh, so if you're if you find yourself in the uh, you know Fishtown Kensington area of Philly, yeah, get some coffee and donuts at Hello and vegan donuts. Some of my favorites. We do have there. vegan donuts as well. They are awesome. And I think that's uh, that's it for my plugs. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. Thanks for hanging. Do you want to do the sign off? I forgot it. You've been listening to the Super Week Super Weekly Supercast. Thank Hold you, on, ben. it's not Super Weekly anymore. It's going to be like seasonal now. Oh, okay. The Super, super. Week Super Seasonal Supercast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll think about it. We're, 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 we're workshopping it's, a lot of yeah, stuff this year. We'll see what happens. Super sporadic. <laughs> super sporadic Supercast. Thank you, Ben, for, for bringing us back. Just like you brought me back into the my live audio career. Well, he does it all. He does it all.